to the go. Okay. Welcome to Sports Med Res's This Week in Review podcast, where we highlight the recent news in sports medicine research. This week, we have Dr. Jane McDevitt here to discuss with us the paper by Kim and colleagues that looked at genetics associations with concussions. Hi, Jane. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. So I think we're here now with probably what I think based on my conversation with you is probably our first genetic-wide association study, really probably in all of sports medicine, but especially with concussion. So before we get too far into this, can you kind of just give us what has been the historic landscape of a traditional genetic study that we've seen in sports medicine? And what's the benefit of go- taking this GWAS approach? So typically, many uh, sports medicine genetic-based papers have taken the hypothesis-driven method, where they are specifically looking at different genes that they think will have an association with that uh, injury risk. For example, you know, in ACL, Achilles tendonitis, uh, those kinds of papers, they're looking at collagen genes, right? So if those collagen genes Um, are different, then are they going to be coding because genes um, provide the code for which proteins are produced? So if there is a change in that collagen gene, is there going to be a change in that protein and that collagen protein? Is that going to increase or decrease their risk of injury because of that change? Typically, though, the problem uh, with those is that, you know, they're very biased, right? So, um, and typically are are heavily underpowered due to the low sample size. So with a genome-wide association study, this is taking the non-hypothesis approach where these studies are going to scan the entire genome for this uh, one specific type of genetic variation called a single nucleotide polymorphism. And we call them in the biz SNPs. So it's just single meaning one nucleotide, one letter, the adenine, thymine, cytosine, guanine, one of those um, letter changes, poly meaning many, morphism meaning change. So there are SNPs are very frequent in the genome And it really is what makes us different from one another. So there's SNPs every 100 to um, every thousand base pairs. So there's millions of SNPs in our genome. So with that non-hypothesis-driven method, we're going to see what SNPs are different in those that have had ACL injuries or concussions and compare those SNPs to um, those that never had a concussion or never had an ACL injury. So, uh, so we can see, are there any specific SNPs that arise in the cases that don't arise in the control? And then that's how we kind of identify um, these different trait associated um, variations. So, I mean, I understand from the point of view that, you know, in years to come, these type of genetic studies could potentially help us identify somebody that might be high risk for a concussion or an injury. Um, But those seem really kind of far off in many cases, because it's going to take more studies and we're going to need to better understand how they might work in different types of populations. But more to today's clinicians, how can these genetic studies kind of help inform clinical practice, whether it's the discussion we have with patients or 
um, how we conceptualize perhaps these injuries or who gets injured? So these genetic studies can still kind of start to um, bring up individualized medical care because what these genetic studies are starting to highlight are more of the specific mechanisms that increase or decrease that risk of injury. So if we look at, you know, that collagen study and they have an increased risk of uh, injury because they have um, lax collagen, you know, is there something that we can uh, do uh, rehab wise to kind of prevent that? So can we strengthen um, their, you know, quads, uh, hamstrings? Can we, you know, have a a good quad to hamstring ratio? Um, Or can we counsel them and be like, you know, there is, there is this risk. I mean, this is way down the line, the, the genetic counseling piece, but, you know, just like how athletes should know their uh, risk of injury when participating in sports, you know, how does their genetics or their familial history, um, you know, affect their decision to go into that sport. So again, something to start considering is taking a look at, you know, structure determines function. So if we can find these SNPs and uh, these variations in these specific genes that code for these different mechanisms that can alter risk, you know, is there a way environmentally that we can kind of limit the amount of risk that this athlete's taking on? So in this particular study that we're looking at, where they did the genome-wide association study for concussion, they identified two possible variants that seem to be related to concussion. Um, And I understand that, you know, we need to test it further and we need to better understand how these two variants might explain what's going on with concussion. But can we also use this type of information to then kind of understand if there is a relative risk that we should think of as clinicians for family history, you know, like, can, you know, kind of make the link that if my parents had a concussion, I'm more likely to get a concussion potentially. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important, you know, that's a really great point. And I think that's something that we can easily add in to a pre-participation health examination are what are some of your familial history with concussion or with other kind of uh, musculoskeletal injuries and take a look at what did mom um, have a concussion and did her mom have a concussion or her dad. So kind of looking at that familial line because genes, uh, our DNA is passed on. Our ears kind of perk up as clinicians. If we have a patient in front of us during pre-participation physical that says, oh, my brother had a concussion or my dad had a concussion once upon a time. Like, should that be kind of a warning that perhaps it's time to have a conversation with this person about their potential risk? It certainly could be. I mean, I don't want to put like the alarm on for every single thing, but I mean, yeah, the, in terms of genetic analyses and, um, you know, what we're seeing is, yeah, we, our ears should perk up and we could be a little bit more on the alert for injuries where there, there is that familial history. And to be clear, this is talking about concussion risk. If these type of, this study can't tell us if they're going to have a worse outcome after the concussion. No. Yeah. So that, and, and that would be really exciting GYs, but again, really tough to perform. So um, you would need a lot of, uh, of concussion cases. So this, you know, they had nearly 5,000 
control uh, cases, concussion cases and uh, nearly 80,000 controls. So the other thing is, is where do we draw the line with a normal and a um, prolonged recovery? You know, that's been debated. Um, some people say if the, if it's, if they are sign, if they have signs and symptoms uh, for over seven days, that's a prolonged, um, that it's taking them a prolonged amount of time to get better. Or if they just don't return to play within 30 days, is that, you know, a concussion syndrome, post-concussion syndrome so it's difficult to you know identify where that line is in terms of okay we have this cohort of concussed um, people what are the normal recoverers and the abnormal recoverers but that would be that's I think the more interesting question for sure because everybody's at risk for a concussion and really difficult to say that the controls will always remain controls that they have a limited or no risk of concussion because that's untrue. Um, but how do you recover from a concussion and what are some things that we could do or what are, what are some therapeutic targets that we could do for these people that could have prolonged concussion recovery? That would be exciting. So I, I definitely appreciate the fact that these GWAS studies take a large sample size, but mm-hmm. you only need one sample, right? Like one time. It's not like getting repeated numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Now that's the nice part about a GWAS is that um, all you need is DNA and DNA doesn't change. So it doesn't matter when you obtain this DNA, unlike like other biomarker studies where everything has to be so specifically controlled and and the timing of it is so necessary, DNA doesn't change. So you could get the DNA, you know, from a participant that had a concussion 10 years ago, 30 years ago, and somebody that just had a concussion today. And if they would be, you know, just depending on, you know, where they lie in terms of normal or prolonged recovery is, you know, what group they're going to be in. So, I mean, I know this is, the moonshot type idea, but there's probably like over several hundred thousand college athletes out there within the NCAA institutions around the country. Mm-hmm. If you were to get a agreement where even half of those people got had gave a saliva sample or a cheek swab at college entry, and you had a good enough tracking system, that would be a game changer for GWAS study in the sense of not only understanding the concussions and the recoveries, but every other injury that an athlete had, because that initial cheek swap would be applicable for their entire four-year career. You got it. Absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to see something from the NCAA care consortium. So, I mean, as we think about wrapping up the podcast, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that see the genetics paper come across their desk or across our website and just say, man, why bother? What would be your pitch to them to pick, take a moment and pick up that post or that article and to, to think about the consequences of it? Like, what's the take home message from, that they should be trying to get from these papers? I think, you know, one of the take home messages are, you know, that it can tell us a lot more about the injury and the recovery period. So we can really learn from, you know, what increases risk in terms of the mechanisms with, you know, within the proteins and maybe we can start curating some prevention strategies regarding that. And then, you know, taking note on that medical history can, can really give a, a lot of information regarding, you know, how many of your family members ever suffered. If you there, what, if there was a, 
has anybody suffered a musculoskeletal injury? If so, what, and then, you know, follow that line, you know, you could, you can, you can see some potential, uh, risk just from looking at that, that familial line. And that reminds me of the, I think the paper you wrote up as a post recently that showed 69% of all ACL is heritable. Yep. Yeah. So it's, again, it's some simple things, uh, just like that medical history and some things of, you know, structure uh, determines function. And we, if we dive in a little bit deeper into these mechanisms that we can really find some helpful things that can prevent and guide us to, to, towards this individualized care. Great. Thanks, Jane. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Don't forget that we also share extra material on social media. And if you're an athletic trainer who's looking for evidence-based practice CEUs, then please check out our six online evidence-based practice courses available through the Human Kinetics website. We will have links to our summaries and the courses on our website and in the show notes. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more sports medicine research. Until then, have a fun one.